Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Preach the kingdom, heal their sick, because, and we're going to start out in Luke chapter 9, I need to articulate something from the word, and I've asked the Lord to help me as he's the only one who can, you know, the Bible says he gives us a mouth and a wisdom to be able to declare his word. He's the only one who can give us utterance to truly articulate his word in a fashion where people could understand, and in understanding, faith is born, and where faith is born, victory is had. And so I had this topic come up into my spirit yesterday, and uh, this scripture came right alongside it. Luke chapter 9 and verse 1, the Bible says this, And he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Verse 2, He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal their sick. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal their sick. In verse 11, it says, When the multitudes knew it, they followed him, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. I want you to pay attention here. How Luke, as he's writing this, he's always in conjunction with the kingdom of God, talking about the divine healing that took place as a result of the preaching of the kingdom. He spoke to them of the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. My objective in doing this broadcast today is to, by the help of the Holy Ghost, show you and bring revelation to this fact that the kingdom of God carries healing power within it and that the moment you get born again, that's the moment you enter into that kingdom. If I were to ask you, do you believe that when you get into the kingdom of God that we will be healed? What would your answer be? If I were to ask you, the moment you get into God's kingdom, you're going to get healed. Most people would think, yes, the moment we die and get to heaven, we're going to get healed. But that's not true. First of all, I've covered this at length in many other broadcasts that we're not going to get healed in heaven. We are going to get brand new bodies. The Bible says this corruptible will put on incorruptible. There is no healing in heaven. There is resurrection and conformity to the body of Christ. That's in Philippians 3. We will conform. Our body will be conformed. This lowly body will be conformed into his heavenly body. We will look like him. We will see him as he is. We will be as he is, 1 John chapter 3 says, because we will see him as he is. So if you're thinking when I die, that's when I'll get healed, you're, you, the devil's deceived you into thinking that, into thinking that thought. And as in, in his attempt to do that, he's actually cut you off from experiencing healing here and now. Remember, the Bible doesn't say that every promise of God is yes and amen in death. The Bible doesn't say, yes, that, the, Bible, uh, that the, the promises of God are yes and amen, uh, only at the resurrection. The Bible says that the promises of God are yes and amen in Him, in Christ, in Jesus. The promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. 
And so my objective today is to show you that the moment you become a member of the kingdom of God, that's the moment you are qualified to receive the inheritance, something that's owed you, not because of works of righteousness, not because of something you are or what you've done, but purely because of what Jesus accomplished at the cross. When you get born again, you've entered into the kingdom of God. And in entering into the kingdom of God, you have now become qualified to partake of this benefit of divine healing. So if I asked you, do you believe that when you get into the kingdom of God, you'll be healed? Most people would say yes, and they're thinking of heaven. But I want to show you today, we're going to turn to John chapter 3. I want to show you that the kingdom of God is not speaking of heaven. The kingdom of God is speaking about essentially heaven coming to you. The kingdom of God is is not just a place that you're going to one day be eternally with, heaven, in, in, with God in heaven. The kingdom of God is the invasion of God's word and God's power in your very life. And this happens here in John chapter 3. Jesus explains how it happens. Jesus says in John 3, 3, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter or see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So the kingdom of God, I'm going to say it again, is not a place that we're one day going to spend, although that is part of it. The kingdom of God primarily is the arrival of God's word and will wherever it is proclaimed and believed. Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you, cannot, you hear the sound thereof, but cannot tell where it comes from, neither where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Jesus essentially is saying, the moment you are born again, you have entered into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. The moment you were born again, you have entered into the kingdom of God. If I were to ask you, when do you believe you'll arrive into God's kingdom? Most people would say when we die and get to heaven. But I wanted to show you from John 3, Jesus made it very clear. The moment you are born again, he said, unless you are born of water and spirit, he's talking about that regeneration that took place when you received the water, which is the word, Ephesians 5.26, washed by the water of the word, and then conviction by the spirit and regeneration by the spirit of God. He's speaking of being born again here. He says, the moment you are born of water and spirit, you enter in to the kingdom of God. You enter into the kingdom of God. So what needs to be articulated now in this generation, this is 2,000 years after Jesus spoke these words, and it's like somehow this got lost. But what needs to be articulated now is that when preaching divine healing, and that's what we're talking about today, preach the kingdom, heal their sick. I read in Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, that it's not an option to just be, I'm, I'm a word-only guy. I just talk about the gospel and that's it. When God calls someone or assigns uh, a ministry to someone, they have a two-fold ministry. Preach, heal their sick. You can't pick, I'm just going to preach. I'm not going to get into that healing stuff. 
I know there's a lot of people they've said over the years, oh, he's a healing evangelist, or that she's a healing, a healing evangelist, or she's got a gift of healing. Yes, there are the gifts of healings, and I got into that two weeks ago when I did the gifts, gifts of the Spirit broadcast, and um, I spoke about how there is a special manifestation of the gifts of healing where everybody in the service through the laying on of hands or some other method of ministration, people are healed. It's like it's like 100% uh, 100% result rate. But as Oral Roberts heard from the Lord, the Lord spoke to me, said, when your right hand gets hot, know that the gifts of healings are in manifestation. Lay your hands on everybody and they'll get healed. But if your right hand doesn't burn, he said, you just have the duty now to preach the gospel of the kingdom and lay hands on them anyways and in faith believe that I'm going to heal them. So the duty of a minister, there is no healing ministry. Oh, they have a healing ministry. Jesus made it very clear. You don't have a choice in declaring the gospel of the kingdom. You have now a duty and responsibility to declare the healing power of God that's been made accessible through what Jesus did at the cross. So now what needs to be articulated is this. Because a lot of people say, I just talk about salvation. I don't get into that healing stuff. Well, here's what they fail to understand. The moment you get saved, you believed. How did you get saved? You believed that your sins were washed away, though you may not have felt anything, though you may not have sensed anything. There was some sort of, uh, there was a, a, an exchange that took place. God took out your heart of stone. He put a heart of flesh in you. And from that moment onward, you started to have new desires, a new will, a new passion. You, you started to love people. Things changed. There was an inward work that produced an outward manifestation. When you had your sins forgiven, you believed that you entered into God's kingdom. You believed that you got born again. You believed that you now had right standing before God. You were justified by faith. Justified not by feelings, justified by faith. Well, here's what I want to articulate today. The same way you accepted forgiveness of sins and now believe you're a part of the kingdom of God, you need to accept now that you are a part of the kingdom of God and I'm talking to you that are sick today in body or in mind. You believed and accepted that your sins were forgiven without any type of you know, it's not like you saw Jesus come to the earth and he just handed, he put his hand towards you and he said, put your hand in my hand and you're saved. Many, I mean, unless you had some crazy experience, most people, I'd say 99.99999% of people did not have that happen to them. And so for the rest of us who didn't have that type of experience, you just had to, you had now the responsibility to just believe, to just accept that my sins are forgiven. I accept it. It's a fact. Though I haven't seen anything, it's a fact. Well, in the same vein, now that you've become a part of the kingdom of God, you need to learn to accept healing before healing ever even takes place. You need to learn to accept it. In John chapter 9, Jesus spits on the ground. He makes clay with his saliva. He puts it on the man's eyes and he says, go and wash and you will see. That man had to accept healing before he received healing he had to accept by faith that his eyes were open before he ever even opened his eyelids to see because remember he put clay on his eyes he had his eyes closed he had to go and wash so that man had to accept healing as a fact 
before he ever opened his eyes and actually received his sight. In Job 33, I want to read this. Job 33. Job 33 and beginning with verse 19. Man is also chastened with pain on his bed, with strong pain in many, in many of his bones. His life abhors bread, lack of appetite. His soul, succulent food, lack of appetite. When someone's sick, especially in the digestive system, they don't want to eat. And not only just digestive system, you know, when you're sick and your body's weak, first thing to go is your appetite. His flesh wastes away from sight. That means he's getting skinny. I mean, this guy's on his way to the, an, an early grave here. The description that we're reading here. His flesh wastes away from sight. His bones stick out, which once were not seen. He's so skinny that his bones are sticking out. He's emaciated. He has thinned down. You ever see a cancer patient? He used to be 189 pounds, and now they're down to 104 pounds. And their bones are sticking out, which once were not seen. So this is a serious disease that... Um, the book of Job is describing. Verse 22, yes, his soul draws near the pit, speaking of Sheol, speaking of death, and his life to the executioners. Verse 23, this is what I want, to pay, I want you to pay attention to here. If there is a messenger for him, what does a messenger do? He brings news. In this case, I am a messenger from God, an evangelist, a bearer, of not just any news, of good news. What's good news to the sick? You don't have to stay sick. If there is a messenger, you know the Bible says in Proverbs, as cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. I've come to bring you good news today. If this is your description, if you have lost your appetite because of some sort of physical or mental illness, if you have lost your will you know, the Bible says his, his will to eat was gone. His bones were sticking out, which once were not seen. If you are in a place of dreadful sickness and disease, I've come to bear good news to you today. You don't have to die. You can live and use the rest of your life to declare the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. If there is a messenger for him, a mediator, one among a thousand... To show man his uprightness. To show man his uprightness. He's saying, you know, flash forward, Job didn't have this revelation then, but flash forward to the New Testament, we have our uprightness or our righteousness is in Christ. It's not in any works that we have done. Our righteousness is in Christ. So he's saying, if there is a mediator to show man Christ's righteousness in him, meaning you've been born into the kingdom now, you don't have to suffer the thing you used to suffer it anymore. Job is saying, if there's somebody that can show that person, if there's somebody that can go to the sick one and reveal to him that now that he's been born again, show him his uprightness, show him his right standing with God, show him, because remember Job, everybody loves to use Job. Job was sick and God didn't do anything about it, which is not true. God did something about it. He made him well. And secondly, Job cried out for a mediator. Job said, if only my mediator were here who can put his hand. A mediator is a, is a, a, a one who stands between the two, who can put his hand on me and his hand on God and make peace between us too. 
Who was he crying out for? Job was crying out for Jesus. Jesus came. He stood in the gap. First Peter, First uh, Timothy two says, "We have one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Jesus Christ." What Job cried out for, we have in Christ. And not only is, it, is he our mediator, he is our righteousness. He is our uprightness. Job is saying, if there's somebody who can bring the good news that you are not dead in sin anymore, but now you are righteous, as Christ is righteous, verse 24 says, then, hallelujah, then God is gracious to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit, for I have found a ransom. Hallelujah. That's speaking of Jesus. I have found a ransom. I've found a redeemer. I've found someone who would act as the substitute. Verse 25, the result, his flesh shall be restored like a young child's and he shall return to the days of his youth. That's talking about physical revitalization. That's talking about physical healing. His flesh shall be like a young child's. He'll be revitalized. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. He for benefits of what? Benefits of being redeemed. Benefits of having a substitute who stood on our behalf and did what we couldn't do and obtain eternal redemption for us. The benefits, he says, is forgiveness of sins and healing of all diseases. And then it says, he shall redeem our life from the pit of destruction and he shall renew our strength, satisfy our mouth with good things and renew our strength like that of an eagle's. So I'm trying to show you today that there's a twofold work that was accomplished at redemption. Your sins were forgiven and because of the arrival of the kingdom now, here on this life and on this earth, we have now been qualified to be partakers of the divine healing power of God. Job says, if there be a messenger who can show somebody, that's what I'm trying to do. This, I'm telling you, most of the time when I deal with people that are sick and I realize uh, nothing's clicking, it's this that's not clicking. This is what clicked for me when I got healed. I had been saved. I was forgiven. If I had died, I'd go to heaven. But it wasn't until months later that I found out that the moment I got saved, preach the kingdom, heal their sick. I was now entitled to divine healing for my body. The moment I got saved, the moment that I received Christ, I knew that I could receive him not only as savior from sin, but as what Ephesians 5 says, savior of the body. Savior of my body. Remember, you're a temple of the Holy Ghost. Your body's not some disposable garbage to God. Your body's not some, uh, you know, some junk that God just throws around and doesn't care about. Matter of fact, that was a problem in the Corinthian church. They disassociated their body from their spirit. And so they were using their body to sleep around with temple prostitutes, but they would say, my spirit say, what does it matter what I do with my body? But Paul makes it very clear to them. He says, hey, your body and your spirit were bought with a high price. With a high price. So glorify God in your body and in your spirit. But it all comes down to having this revelation. If there's somebody, a meteor who will show man his uprightness, 
Then God will be gracious, gracious to him and deliver him from going down to the pit. Ultimately, that means heal them from sickness and disease. So I want to go through some New Testament scriptures that I, I jotted down. And I'm not going to go long today because I want to, I want to pray for people in uh, concluding this broadcast. But I want to go through scriptures, I already went through two, that connect the preaching of the kingdom to the healing of the sick. That it's not just some one scripture that people took out of context. It's literally through the Gospels and through the book of Acts. I read Luke chapter 9, 1, 2, and 11. Now let's do Luke chapter 10 and verse 9. Matter of fact, let's do verse 1 first. And he sent the 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is great. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Skip to verse 9. One of the things he tells the people to do, those 70, is heal the sick that are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Heal the sick that are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Essentially, what Jesus was saying is when you proclaim and declare the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God arrives, because the kingdom of God will show up or manifest anywhere the word of God is preached and proclaimed. So if the word is proclaimed, if the gospel is spoken, if the gospel of the kingdom when the gospel is spoken, it unlocks or unleashes the power of the kingdom. And part of, that, uh, part of that is divine healing for people's body. That's why every time you see Jesus say, preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick. Preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick. Talk about his kingdom, expect healing power. You can't disconnect the two. Matthew chapter 10. When the word of God is declared, God's kingdom is unleashed. And when God's kingdom is unleashed, healing is a supernatural byproduct of it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. You know, matter of fact, let's start with Matthew 9, 35. Because this is the entire context of, of this, uh, of even into chapter 10. Verse 9, 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching what? The gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. They were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. He saw there was too many people. The work was so big and he told his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So let's pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Verse 10, and he called his 12 disciples to him. He gave him power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then he says in verse 5, don't go in the way of the Gentiles, the Gentiles, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In verse 7, as you go, preach. So here he's saying, as you go, here's what you got to do. Preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If it stopped there, I could close up the sermon and say, 
healing's not for today. Or I can say, you know, uh, our duty as ministers of the gospel is not to heal the sick. It's just to make sure that their souls are right before God. And ultimately, our primary duty is that our souls are right before God. Because what can a man give in exchange for his own soul? The Bible says, don't fear those who kill the body. Fear those who, who can kill the body and the soul, which is God. God can, you know, the Bible says, fear him who can cast body and soul into hell. So obviously, our primary mission is to get people right before God, to have their, their, their spirits come alive again in Christ Jesus, reconcile them to the Father, and thereby uh, provide them a way of escape from eternal damnation. But Jesus didn't just say, tell them that they can be saved in the day of, in the day of judgment. Tell them, kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice how it doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is coming. Notice how it doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is is, is, is going to come one day when Jesus returns again. Notice how he says the kingdom of heaven is here. I think that needs to switch for some people today. People are kingdom of heaven futuristic minded. When in reality, Jesus, when he arrived, he said, I've come. Jesus is the kingdom of heaven. His presence invading a place is the kingdom of heaven. His word being proclaimed and preached in conviction and faith and confidence and boldness is the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. The moment you get that in your noggin, I'm telling you things are going to change. You're not going to be in his timing. There's, his timing is here. It's been here. The, it's like that man in John chapter 5. He's waiting for the stirring of the waters. For an angel came down in a certain season to steer the waters and whoever it was that stepped in first was healed of whatever affliction he had. I think that's what people are waiting for, some crazy manifestation of angelic beings or the Spirit of God moving in a glory cloud. They're waiting for some spectacular thing when in reality the spectacular has already been done. When Jesus took stripes on his back, pierced in his hands, died a sinner's death, rose again to usher you in. And make you a part and enter into this kingdom of God. Now, here, right now. Yes, there's going to be a day of final redemption where we're going to spend, there's not going to be any sin, not going to be any sorrow, any death, any pain, any tears, nothing. But we in this life get to partake of the first fruits of that. You know, I was thinking about, about it before. In heaven, we're going to have unlimited provision. Unlimited provision. I mean, think of it. There's not going to be any need in heaven whatsoever. But in this life, God provides, and that is a first fruit of the ultimate reality that we're going to have in heaven. But it's a first fruit. We get to partake of the first installments of it, Paul talks about. With, with uh, being in God's presence in heaven, we're going to be literally in the presence of God, face to face. I'm going to be able to go to Jesus and hug him. You're going to be able to do the same. But what we do get in this life is the first fruit of his presence, which is we know. He said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. We may not see him, but we get the first fruit of his presence in that we have the spirit of God dwelling in us. Hallelujah. When it comes to, forgive, uh, when it comes to sin, we, one day we're not going to have any temptation there's not, the tempter will be bound, hand and foot, cast into a bottomless pit in a lake of fire forever. The tempter is going to be done out of the way. 
I know there's people that have always thought, and I used to think like this, you know, when I was younger, I used to think, well, in heaven, what if we sin there? There's not going to be an opportunity to sin. First of all, the old sinner nature is not going to be there at all. Secondly, the tempter is not even going to be there. There's not going to be an opportunity to sin in heaven. But we get the first fruit of it. Romans 6 says we now have dominion over sin and we don't have to obey it in its laws. But I want you to see this contrast that I'm making. There is the ultimate redemption. But there's the first fruit of it, the, the, that which we get to partake of here and now. In heaven, we're going to put on incorruptible bodies. Bodies that cannot are not susceptible to pain. Bodies that are not susceptible to sniffles in flu season. Bodies that are not susceptible to stubbing a toe and actually feeling pain for it. We're not, we're not going to have bodies that are corruptible or mortal. But we have the first fruit of that, and that is not only divine healing, but divine health in this life. Hallelujah. But Jesus is saying here, you don't have to wait for the kingdom ultimate. You can have the kingdom now. Heal the sick, he says. As you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is at hand. It's here. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you've received and freely give. For all those people that say, well, I don't believe it's God's will to always heal. Okay, is it God's will to always cast out demons? Obviously, he doesn't want people created in his image to be filled with demonic possession or, opp or oppression. Well, I don't believe it's God's will to always heal the sick. I think that's just on a case-by-case -case basis. Is it God's will for all to hear that the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Then if it is, then it's his will for all to, he to be healed if they'll only believe. But I'm telling you, this is where it comes down to. This is what I'm trying to break it down to for you today. You have to see healing as a finished fact. The same way you saw forgiveness as a finished fact. Let me make this clear to you. Numbers 21. Numbers 21, verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there's no food or water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord allowed or sent fiery serpents amongst the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. Therefore, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. It all starts with confession of sin. If there's any sin in your life, you've cut yourself off from the help of God. Sin, Isaiah 59. He said, is the arm of the Lord shortened that it cannot save? No, but your own sins have cut you off. The arm of the Lord signifies the power of God, but sin cuts you off from the supply of God's power. So the first thing they had to do was confess, we have sinned. And the moments to come, I'm going to give you an opportunity. to, If you have to get right with God, you can do that today. And it's not going to be a seven-year program where you have to get, you know, uh, sort things out. The moment you believe today, the moment you get saved, you've entered into the kingdom of God. And what we're about to read about belongs to you. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. And pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents for us from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, pay special attention here. The Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent. My question to you, 
What was the very thing that broke out in the camp that fastened itself on certain of the Israelites so that they died? Fiery serpents. So the Lord says, now take the very thing that represents the curse that came upon the Israelites because of their sin. Take the very thing that represented trouble. Take the very thing. Take that thing that brought sickness and fever on the people that was causing them to die an early death. Take that thing and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bidden when he looks at it, the snake on the pole, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. John chapter 3, going back to John 3. John 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. As the... As Moses, so we just read in Numbers 21, Moses set a fiery serpent on a wooden pole, lifted it up. Every Israelite that had been bitten by that serpent that had fallen ill, remember, they had sinned. Their sin then brought physical calamity to their bodies. And when the Lord said, take the fiery serpent, which represented their very curse and their very trouble and their very illness, put it on the pole, lift it up. Everyone that looks to it will live. The Israelites that look to it, not only, you know, it would have been different if everyone who looks to it will get forgiven, but they're still going to die. That would have been a different case. We wouldn't be able to talk about what I'm talking about to you today. But the Bible says, not only were they forgiven, the Bible says they were healed. They lived on. The fever and whatever type of maybe skin problems that came on as a result of this venom that had entered into their body, it left. And their body had been restored. John chapter 3, Jesus is speaking and he connects the two. And he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and the Israelites looked, not only were they saved, but they were healed even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Remember what Galatians 3 says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us. The curse was laid on that wooden pole in Moses' day. Jesus became a curse for us. That when he hung on that wooden tree, the curse that came as a result of man's fall, there was no sickness in Eden. Sickness came as a result of the fall of man. And so Jesus dealt with the curse when he became the curse for us. He was made sick for us. He was made sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God and so that we may partake of the healing power of God. Hallelujah. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and all who looked were healed and lived and forgiven, even so... Jesus said, I must be lifted up. Well, let me tell you, if the symbol, Moses doing that, the fiery serpent, all that was a symbol of what Christ would ultimately come to do. If the symbol had power to heal sickness, not just forgive, but heal the sickness, how much more the actual son of God hanging on that wooden pole, who's not the symbol, who's the actual son of God absorbing the curse of the law for us, 
How much more power do you suppose that will produce if you'll simply believe it and receive it today as a fact? The Old Testament was a fiery serpent. In the New Testament, it's the curse of the law, which if we read in Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 to the end of the chapter, part of the curse of the law is mildew, fever, dysentery, and then it says, every sickness and disease which is not even written in this book. Every sickness and disease. Sickness is not listed as a disciplining method of heaven. It's not. Look at the Bible. It's not found. Sickness is not listed. I mean, think of it. If sickness was God's way of disciplining people, what kind of father would do that? If your kid came home, your principal of the child said, hey, he, he uh, spoke back to us today. You need to discipline your child. Would you go home and get a vial of diabetes and inject him with it? Would you get a vial of some deadly poison, some venom? Hey, kid, you should have really not have done that. Now you got to suffer the consequences. Nobody would do that. Well, if you've been evil... Wouldn't do that? How much more would a good father not do that to you? God disciplines by his word. God disciplines through instruction and not destruction. I'm trying to show you parallels here. Turn with me to John, uh, Jeremiah chapter 17. I'll show you another one. Jeremiah 17. Verse 14, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Jeremiah connects the two. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, O Lord, and I shall be saved. Jeremiah is ultimately saying, look to the cross and the same place where you receive forgiveness is the same place you can receive healing today. Look to the cross. Look to the Son of Man be lifted up. And the same blood that was shed to give you a passport into the kingdom of God is the same blood that gives you access to the healing power of God. I'm going to read a few more scriptures. Mark chapter 3. I want to load this broadcast with scripture as I do all my broadcasts. If you're just tuning in now, you do me a great help if you share it. Mark chapter 3, verse 14. And he appointed 12 disciples that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. Send them out to what? Preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. Mark chapter 6, verse 12. So they went out and preached that people should repent and they cast out. So they went out and preached what? That people should repent. They preached the gospel and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Luke chapter 5. However, the reporter went around concerning Jesus all the more, and great multitudes came to hear him and to be healed by him of their infirmities. They came to hear what? Him preaching the kingdom, and the result of it, healed by him of their infirmities. Verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. 
He was teaching in their synagogues, and the power of the Lord was present there to heal them. And verse chapter 6, verse 17, he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him preach the gospel of the kingdom and heal, be healed of their in their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits and they were all healed and the whole multitude sought to touch him for power went out of him and healed them all interesting everywhere he preached the kingdom healing came to pass except there was one place mark chapter 6 there was one place that jesus had a hard time imagine that jesus had a hard time Mark 6, 1, then he went out from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. So he did the same thing he did everywhere else. But look what happened here. Many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters all here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hunt. Uh, country among his own relatives and in his own house verse 5 this is jesus now he could do no mighty works there it doesn't say now jesus didn't want to do mighty works there he was kind of turned off with their reaction it says he couldn't he couldn't he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and if you look in the original greek with minor ailments minor things and healed them and he marveled because of their unbelief and he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So what was their unbelief placed in? They didn't believe that the arrival of Jesus was the arrival of the kingdom. Because they didn't do that, they were cut off from the supply of God's power that was able and willing to heal them that day. So unbelief is not just, unbelief is not just blatantly rejecting Christ, although that is the highest form of it. Unbelief is not, because there's a lot of Christians who have unbelief. They've accepted Christ as Redeemer and all that, but they have unbelief in other things. You know, anybody that you'll hear say something like, you know, I know what the Bible says, but you also have to use wisdom. That's unbelief. You might as well just say, I don't believe in what God's Word says concerning those things, but I do believe the salvation part. When you hear someone say, well, I know that God said He'll keep you healthy, but ultimately you got to use a little wisdom, and sometimes, you know... Ultimately, those people are saying, I don't really believe that God said uh, that, that God is a man of his word. I don't believe that everything in the word of God is inerrant or infallible, that there is some things in God's word that is prone to error. So there are Christians who have unbelief. Unbelief is not just blatantly rejecting Christ as Messiah. Unbelief can be ignorance of God's word, not knowing that he desires to heal. And then unbelief can be a misunderstanding of God's word. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, are you not greatly mistaken because you don't, you know not the scripture, neither yet the power of God. Jesus said, you are mistaken, meaning you have an, a misunderstanding of the word of God. As a result, you know not the scripture, neither yet the power of God. Meaning unbelief that is rooted in a misunderstanding of the scripture will cut you off from the power of God that is able to help you in that area. 
You know not the scripture, neither yet the power of God. So what's the, the opposite of that? When you know the scripture, you'll partake of the power of God. The people of Nazareth, they rejected Christ's person, and it cut them off from the power of God. But there's a lot of Christians who've accepted Christ as Savior from sin, but they've rejected the notion, and really it's the truth, that God's kingdom and the arrival of God's kingdom marks the arrival of divine healing. They've rejected it. Paul said, I will come to you in the fullness of the gospel. The fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not coming with a half gospel. I'm going to come to you, John, uh, Paul said, in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 8. I'm going to show you in the book of Acts where you see this happen. Acts 8. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the gospel or the word. And Philip, the evangelist, went down to Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Healed. And there was great joy in that city. So Philip opened his mouth. I said it before. The proclamation of the word of, the, of, the word of God ushers in the power of the kingdom of God. The proclamation of the word of God ushers in the power of the word of God. P, uh, Philip proclaimed the word of God. The result of it was the kingdom of God invaded Samaria and those that believed, the Bible says, were healed and many that were possessed were delivered and there was great joy in the city. Philip became a carrier of the kingdom of God because he availed his mouth. He used his mouth to preach the word of the gospel. And as such, everywhere Philip went, he saw the manifestation, the unleashing of the unhindered flow of God's healing power. You look at it in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 5. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And yet none dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and multitudes increasingly were added to the Lord, both men and women. Verse 15, so that they brought the sick into the streets... So Peter and the, the, the apostles and other disciples are preaching the gospel of the kingdom and they brought the sick out into the streets, laid them on beds and couches that at, at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them and a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits and they were all healed. Everywhere the gospel was proclaimed, the kingdom invaded, and where the kingdom invaded, healing followed. I, I'm just, I know it's repetitive, but I'm trying to drill this in you today through the various scriptures. Acts chapter 28. I want to cut you free from the whole separation of healing and redemption. I forget who said it, but an old preacher said, healing is part and parcel in the gospel of the kingdom. It's part and parcel. It's included. It's the Siamese twin of the gospel. Just like sin and sickness is the Siamese, twin, Siamese twins of hell, the Siamese twins of the gospel is healing and forgiveness. Acts 28. Now when they had escaped, they found out that the island was called Malta, 
And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled the fire and made us welcome because of the rain that was falling. So Paul gets to an island called Malta, and he's a prisoner under Roman guard. And here's how the, this, champ, this part of his visitation to Malta ends. Verse 7. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. Well, what do you think Paul was talking about during those three days? Nothing else but the kingdom guaranteed. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed and laid hands on him and healed him. And so when that was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. And they honored us in many ways so that when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. So here you see in Malta, Paul spends, I don't know, maybe a couple of days, a week, two weeks. And by the end of those two weeks, there was no more sickness left on that island. A man who used his life to be the hands, feet, and the mouthpiece of Jesus to declare the word of the Lord. The moment he gets to Malta, he starts talking about the gospel. The kingdom of God invades the place. The result of it, sickness clears out of an entire island. If God, by the kingdom invading that island, was able to clear sickness off an entire island, I believe that as we pray right now, God is going to clear sickness out of your body. I believe there's many people watching me right now, live and on the replay, that the light has just turned on. You've been illuminated. You know, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17, it says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that the eyes of your understanding would be illuminated, flooded with light. Why? Because light overcomes darkness. Sickness has, the author of sickness is darkness, the prince of darkness, Satan himself. And so the only solution to darkness is light. When the word of God, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. When the word of God becomes real to you. I don't, some of you may have heard this a thousand times, but I believe that today the light switch has come on. You've been illuminated. You've been enlightened. Like I had that experience I had 10 years ago, actually it'd be 11 years now, in 2012, on my living room couch, watching an evangelist preach. I had believed for salvation already. I was saved on my way to heaven. But I didn't know the full power of what salvation can bring to me here and now. You know, Paul, uh, or the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 5 says, Beloved, I'm confident of things concerning you. Yeah, things that come with salvation. The word salvation in the Greek is sozo. And the word sozo, you want me to read it out to you? I'll read it out to you straight from the Greek. I'll read it out to you straight from the Greek. Um, because it, it's, it's really going to solidify everything that I'm saying. Sozo. The word sozo, let me get it right out of my concordance. It would be in Romans chapter 116 for sure. Romans 1, 16. Oh, that's soteria. But soteria is a derivative, derivative of sozo. But it literally means deliverance, preservation, safety, salvation, 
the sum of benefits and blessings which the Christians redeem from all earthly ills. To save, keep safe, sound, to rescue from danger or destruction, to save a suffering one, especially one suffering from disease, to make well, to heal, to restore, to, to restore to health. Matter of fact, if you read in the Gospels, oftentimes it says, and as many as touched him were healed. I think we read it before, actually. As many as touched him were healed. That word healed is sozo. The same way where it says, and those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That word saved is sozo. Healed, made whole. Um, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. That's the word sozo. It's always sozo. And the writer is obviously by the Spirit proving a point here. Whatever you need is in sozo. Salvation. You're sick today? Doctor gave you a bad report? Gave you you got six months to live? Says you're going to have to be hooked on this medication the rest of your life? You won't be able to leave, live without this treatment, whatever it is. Look, I'm not against doctors. They're, they're bringing to light certain things that may be wrong with your body. But doctors will admit themselves. They can't heal, they can treat. But there's one I know who can heal. Great physician. And when he came 2,000 years ago, he doesn't have to come a second time. He already came. And when he came, he said, the kingdom of God is here. And ever since then... Matthew eleven eleven. Ever since John came preaching, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. The moment Jesus arrived, J John came preaching that they should believe on him who was coming. He said, I'm the voice of one, preparing the way of the Lord, making his path straight. When Jesus arrived, that marked the arrival of God's kingdom on the earth. It began the heavenly invasion to swallow up every earthly ill, including sickness in your body today. And so quit looking to some futuristic thing that's going to happen one day. Start to see. Start to do what I did 10 years ago when I got healed. I didn't say, I know God's going to heal me. I cut that out of my mouth, out of my lingo. And I looked to the cross, just like they looked to the bronze serpent on that pole. And as many as looked were healed. I learned to look to Calvary. Learn to look to Calvary. Learn to look. See him made sick for you. See him bear that tumor for you. See him carry OCD for you. See him having hypertension diabetes, acid reflux, high cholesterol. See him. See him. John just said, I, Jesus healed me of all those things. See him made sick for you. Just like we see him made sinful for us, we see him made sick for us. And then when you see him made sick for you, see yourself healed. See yourself well. I'm not looking to be healed. I looked back and I saw healing 
as a finished fact. When Jesus said, it is finished, what was finished? What was finished? Ask you ever ask yourself, what is it is finished? What is what was finished? What was finished? It is finished. I'll tell you what was finished. One, sin's hold on your life. Sin's ability to dominate you. Sin's ability to reign in your mortal body. Sin's control. Your slavery to sin. Number two, Satan's dominion over your life was finished the moment you came to Christ. Number three, the middle wall that separated us from God so that we couldn't pray to God, that old wall was finished. The veil was torn from top to bottom. But number five, uh, number four, and equally as important, is the curse of the law and the hold that it had on our soul and our body and our spirit is finished. The stronghold of that curse, which includes Deuteronomy 28. I, I very briefly quoted it before, but I don't, I, I don't know if I feel it in the spirit, but I think that there's some people who don't believe that sickness is actually a curse that Jesus came to break us free from. Deuteronomy 28, and the Lord will strike you with consumption, fever, inflammation, severe burning fever, sword, scorching, mildew, and will pursue you until you're ultimately perished. And then you go to verse... Fifty-eight. If you don't carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in the book, that you may fear His glorious name, then the Lord will bring upon you. And if you originally, if you study the original Hebrew here, it actually is more of a allowance. It's not necessarily a, a commission. It's more like an allowance. I know my version says will bring upon you, but uh, I heard a, a Hebrew scholar talk about how it's more like the Lord will allow these things to happen to you. Your descendants, extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring on you all the diseases of Egypt, of which you were afraid, and they will cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague, which is not even written in this book of the law, the Lord will bring on you until you're utterly destroyed. So you see here that uh, when Jesus said, it is finished, part of what he and the, the, the Jew that was standing by would have understood Part of what he's saying is finished is the ability for the curse of the law, what we just read, to continue to infringe on your life. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray for you right now. And I'm going to believe that as the light of his word has dawned on you, that sickness, disease, chronic ailments, uh, pains, hypertension, blood disorders, anemia, whatever it is, diseases of the structural makeup of the body, whether it be cartilage issues, whatever caused pain, whatever was not, you know, in the book of Matthew, I believe it's in chapter 19, Jesus, the, the, the Pharisees come and he says, you know, Moses permitted us to give a certificate of divorce. And Jesus said, because of the hardness of your heart, he allowed you to divorce your wives. But he says, from the beginning, it was not so. From the beginning, it was not so. Meaning it's never God's will for anybody to be divorced. It was never God's will from the beginning for divorce to ever be a thing. 
And I believe that anything that wasn't present in Eden from the beginning, whatever was not so from the beginning, has no ability to be present in your life. Whatever was not present from the beginning, when you come to Christ, the reality, the new creation reality, is that whatever Adam, by sin, brought on the human race, Christ, through obedience, alleviated or took off the human race. That's essentially the gospel in one verse, in, in one sentence. Whatever Adam brought on the human race through disobedience, Christ, in his obedience, alleviated or relieved and took off the human race. Was there sickness in Eden? No. What, whatever came on man because of what Adam did and committed, Romans 5.17, through the one man's sin, death spread to all. But now much more through Christ's obedience shall we receive the grace of life, the gift of righteousness, and that we might now reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray right now. The truth shall set you free. I pray that you've been set free from the whole holding on for my healing garbage. You're not holding, you're not holding on to anything. We're looking back retrospectively. We're partaking of what we've heard many times said in church and almost become so familiar with it that it's lost its power to influence our thoughts, but the finished work of the cross, the finished work, nothing to be added to it. Healing is the children's bread. If you consider yourself to be a child of God, Jesus said, they that are born of the Spirit of God, these have entered into the kingdom of God. If you're a child of God, you've entered into God's kingdom. Healing belongs to you. It's not something you're striving to obtain. It's yours now. I want you as a sign of faith to take your right hand and put it wherever you're sick, wherever there's pain, wherever there's disease. I want you to take your right hand, put it there, and I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. You know, Mark chapter 2, there's a paralytic that's brought to, before Jesus. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven you. The paralytic, uh, you know, nothing happened right then and there. The Pharisees looked to Jesus and said, this man is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus said, which is easier for me to say? Son, your sins are forgiven. Arise up, take up your pallet and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, arise and walk. And he arose and he walked. He arose and he walked. He arose and he walked. What was Jesus showing? He was showing you. Which is easier for me to say? Walk, be healed, or sins forgiven? Both are covered in what I'm about to do in a few years from now at that cross. That's essentially what Jesus was saying. It's not a separate work. Which is easier for me to say? You have to get this in your heart today before we pray. Which is easier for me to say? Are you the type of person that just believes God, that you're forgiven and that's it? I hope today's broadcast enlightened, opened your eyes to see that there's more to that. There's more to it. I, I believe the Lord is telling you right now, which is easier for me to say? If you're going to believe me on the your sins are forgiven part, believe me on the arise, walk, and go part. Which is easier for me to say? I've got power and authority, Jesus said, to do it both. 
And what I'm about to do, Isaiah 53, he bore our sicknesses, carried our pains, pierced through for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. Let me pray for you right now. In Jesus' name, I pray from the top of their head to the soles of their feet, those that are tuning in right now, that are asking you for healing in whatever manner that they might be suffering in, in their body, whatever area, whether it be in their mind, whether it be in their bones, in their blood, in their skin, if it's eczema or any type of psoriasis, whether it be in their knees, in their back, in their joints, if it's nervous system issues, Lord, anyone that is watching today that is suffering unnecessarily at the hands of the thief that has come to steal, kill, and destroy, I pray, Father, as I, to the best of my ability by the help of the Spirit, articulated the healing power that's resident in the kingdom of God, I pray, Lord, that as they today learn to look to the cross just like the Israelites looked to the wooden pole and the fiery serpent, that today they would, like I did, I saw that it was an illegal trespassing of hell for me to keep OCD in my mind. Father, that they would see that it's an illegal trespassing of hell to keep cancer in their body, to keep diabetes in their pancreas, to keep any type of ailment, chronic illness, sickness, weakness in their body, that it's an illegal trespass and it has no place whatsoever to stay or remain on one more hour. I ask you, Father, as this revelation dawns on many right now from the top of their head to the soles of their feet, let the lightning of heaven jolt right through them, clearing out, dismissing, evicting all presence of pain, sickness, illness, and disease in their body. From the top of their head to the soles of their feet, I loose the healing power of God in you right now. In Jesus' mighty name, be healed in your body right now. I command, I bind the work of hell. I bind any spirit of infirmity that the doctors said they don't even know what's wrong with you. It's a spirit of infirmity. I bind its work. I cast it from your body. And in its stead, I loose the healing power of God into your body. Any demonic seed that has grown and manifested as a sickness in your body, I uproot that seed right now. The power of the Lord is present here to heal you. He went to, they went to hear him and be healed. You heard me, now receive the healing power of God. For the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven suffers violent. The violent take it by force. Take it by force today. Take it by force today. Refuse to stay sick another day. It's not a lot in life. It's not your lot in life. It's not a regular part of life. It's a demonic attack against your body to render you useless because your body is how you express what your spirit has to offer your generation. The devil wants a weak church, a sick church. Bad news for him. Healing's already provided. Strength is coming into your body today. You're recovering from now, from here. This scripture came up into my spirit when I was praying before in John chapter 4. 
John chapter 4. Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the, wine, the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. Jesus said, unless see people see signs and wonders, you'll by no means believe. The nobleman said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. Are you going to believe the word Jesus is speaking to you today? Which is easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven, arise up and walk, you're healed. Are you going to believe the word? This man, without any physical evidence that his son was healed, he believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. And as he was going down, his servant met him and said, your son lives. He inquired what hour he got better. And he said, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left. And the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said, your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. But it comes down to this. The man believed the word Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. Believe. You believed when he said your sins are forgiven? Believe when he says which is easier for me to say? You're healed, you're forgiven. You're healed, you're made whole, you're saved. It's all sozo. Believe, go your way. Arise, walk, be made well. And walk in the confession of it now. And I look forward to your testimony. And I want you to write in your testimony. Hallelujah. We call it done in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. That the kingdom of heaven is invading their bodies as we speak. And all across this earth, healing testimonies are being born right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. If you're watching right now, you've never given your life to Jesus, you need to do that right now. If you have, I talked about it before. The Bible says, in Numbers 21, before they can be healed of the fiery serpents, they had to confess, we've sinned. Has there ever been a time where you stood before God and said, I've sinned? Pride keeps people out of heaven more than the devil will ever keep people out of heaven. Pride comes before a fall, haughty spirit before destruction. Pride is, I don't need God. Pride is, I can work things out. Pride is, what Jesus did is nice, but I'm a good person. Good people might stay out of jail, but it takes the blood of Jesus to keep you out of hell. Has there ever been a time where you've given your life to Christ, turned from sin, and put your faith in Him alone and what He's done? If not, you need to do that right now. Pray this with me from the bottom of your heart. Say this, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to forgive me of all sin because I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I confess Jesus is my Lord. I turn to you. Strengthen me. Fill me with your spirit. Heal my body. I receive the fullness of the blessing of the kingdom of God now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to go to my website, salvationnow.ca. The first link is I just got saved. Click it. Fill that link, fill that form out. I want to get something to you free of charge as a way of welcoming you into the family of God. Go and do that now. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji or visit us online 
www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.